um, start a new season, a new series today that's going to carry on for the next four or five months called The Unstoppable Church. If we can have the first slide up, please, Janet. Just uh, one on chatting. Do you want to turn to Acts chapter 15? And I will explain what this is all about. Acts 15, verse 36. The Unstoppable Church. Church is a family on a mission. Whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, the church is a family on a mission. At Beacon, we are a family that has a job to do. And as relational mission, our wider network, our wider family of churches, we are a family with a job to do. And as a global church, ultimately, across the world, across the denominations and the movements of anyone who professes Christ as the only way to salvation and righteousness before God, we are a family with a job to do. We're not a club, we're not an organisation, we are a family with a mission. And the more we grasp this, the more we'll understand the direction God is setting in our compass as individuals and as Beacon, for example, and the more we'll see where he is leading. And to help us grasp this, we felt it was important to spend some months looking into uh, Paul's second and third missionary journeys in Acts, from Acts chapter 15 through to Acts chapter 20. It's a small section of the book of Acts, which is the the acts of the church and what Jesus was doing through his people when the church was first born. So we're going to look at Paul's second and third missionary journeys. And um, let me just set the scene, just so you know, around 46 AD, so about 13 years after Jesus, approximately 13 years after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended back to heaven and, and um, sent his Holy Spirit amongst us to birth the church. About 13 years later, Paul, who was once terrorising the church, persecuting the church in horrendous ways, he's now a new man. He's met with Christ. And he's been in leadership training for a number of years. And then he goes out on the first missionary journey, which you can read in Acts 13 and 14 with his friend Barnabas. And they preach the gospel to the non-Jews across Turkey and Cyprus. And new churches are born. People become Christians and new churches are born. Acts 13 to 14. And then in the next chapter, Acts 15, which we're just going to read a taster at the end of. In there we find out that they returned to Jerusalem for a big conference amongst the church leaders. Where there was a big, a big debate was arising. Can non-Jews have Christ as their own saviour without resorting to Jewish tradition on top? Of course, the answer was yes. You don't need that anymore. Christ came to fulfil the law, and now it's just a faith in Christ alone that saves us, not all the rituals and traditions on top. There was a big leadership conference just to affirm, is that correct? So they've had this conference. He's already done his first missionary journey a couple of years previously. Now we're at about AD 50. Paul and Barnabas want to revisit the churches that they birthed a couple of years before. They want to strengthen them. So here we're going to join Paul in particular. Um, and through this missionary journey, and then he immediately starts on a third one shortly after as well, which I'll come across in a few months' time. This series will transport us through experiences and opportunities. It's quite an adventure, really. And as we explore them, what we discover over the next few months, we're going to come across church planting. We're going to come across visions. We're going to come across hospitality, deliverance from evil spirits, miracles, reasoning the gospel, and preaching and civil disturbances, engaging with popular culture, confrontation, discipleship, baptism in the Holy Spirit, gifts of tongues and prophecy. It goes on. Arising from the dead, suffering, persecution, equipping the saints, People being born again and deep fellowship. <gasps> it's exciting, isn't it? Do you like the sound of that? 
That's just skirting over the surface. None of these kinds of things we will discover are unique to that particular time and that particular place. The Holy Spirit that birthed the church then and did all those things then is the same Holy Spirit that is active and involved now. So we'll discover that they're just as available to us today in different ways. And for all of us to expect in confidence simply by being faithful and being willing to get out of our comfort zones. That's the tricky bit so often, isn't it? It's hard. Here, we will see an unstoppable church that now, numbers in the billions, proves the point 2,000 years ago, an unstoppable church in action. And today, if we treasure Jesus' values of all of us making disciples, all of us sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, all of us being baptised in the Holy Spirit, all these kind of things, we too will realise that his church today is still unstoppable. And we'll see it happen more and more in our town, in our region, and then beyond. Why? Because the church's husband is the king of kings. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And he didn't say, off you go and build my church, see how you get on. He said, I will build my church. Who wants to see more people saved today? Who wants to see more people healed? Who wants to see more lives transformed? Who wants to see the world turned upside down for Jesus? There's a phrase that will come up in a few weeks' time. So let's go on a journey, shall we? Acts 15, verse 36. It starts, very interestingly, with a disagreement. <laughs> what a way to start. Acts 15, verse 36, to the end of the chapter. It starts off, well, look, what's your heading? Does it say Paul and Barnabas separate? It's good, isn't it? What a good way to start. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And they arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Remember, they went to Turkey and Cyprus on their first journey. So Barnabas has gone away to do half of that with Mark. He's gone to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia up in the north, strengthening the churches, they've gone their separate ways. There are three elements here that I'd like to concentrate on that we find in this passage. The next slide, please, Janet. Three words, three elements to this passage that I want us to focus on that are evident here in this passage, but as we do, we discover that these are the very focus of what God has been calling us as beacon to over the last few months and over the last few years. As an eldership team, these are words we've been using a lot and God's been impressing on them as on, on us in different ways. And we actually discover this is the shape of what God is specifically asking us to focus on, to hone in on, to recognise where our strengths are as Beacon Church and what kind of a church he wants us to be in Herne Bay and beyond. So we're going to go through them briefly just because of time and then I'll share at the end what I specifically believe God is saying to us. So first one, family. Why do they want to do it? Right at the very beginning... Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord. Not just simply the churches or the fellow believers, the brothers. They're talking about brethren. There's a heartfelt connection already. They haven't seen them for a couple of years. They hardly knew them at the time. They're only there for a short while. There's no sense here of leaving baby Christians and baby churches to fend for themselves. There's a desire for ongoing parenting. He's got a father's heart for the baby churches he started. See, we didn't have Amy and then expect her 18 years later to 
fend for herself in the world. It doesn't work like that, does it? We, she can only do that well once we've given her the tools to make wise choices. Or we hope so. We haven't, we, we're trying to help her, even as she's getting older now, more able to do things. We're trying to teach her, inch by inch, to navigate her way. We even explain why we make the decisions we make. and We're within reason, depending on what you're talking about. Good parenting involves choices of how to help shape your child to not just be like you, but to be someone who can make their own decisions independently, wisely, in the future. It's parenting, it's nurturing, it's shaping. And here we have church fathers who want to see the young churches grow, grow strong and robust. So it's not just about growing with ways. It's not just about numbers. It's not just about seeing lots and lots of people saved. I really want that. My one overarching prayer amongst many other prayers for Beacon this year is that it's the year of salvation. I'm fed up with it, in a, in a good way. Why not? God, where are they? Save people. I want to be baptising people every week. It's a big dream, but I'm going to ask it of a big God. It is about numbers and it is about people because they're people who are heading the wrong direction. They're heading to hell. They don't know Christ. It's important, but it's not just about that. It's about growing in depth as well. But it's not just that either. It's width, ways and depth. Because otherwise we can just hide in the corner, learn lots about God and all be cosy together, sit in a little bubble. That's not maturity. If you actually end up getting words seeping into your very marrow, you can't help getting out there and preaching the gospel. <laughs> it's about width and depth. You see, we're addressed in God's own word as his children. And he calls himself Father. And we're told that we are brothers and sisters. So it's not about us being like family. The Bible says we are family. Now the trouble is we know that families can be the most enriching places to be and sometimes the most destructive places to be. It's the reality of what family can be like. And so we have a choice. It's much what David was referring to this morning about we have a participation, we have a will to decide to follow him and to be obedient. Now we can pursue together, we can all decide to pursue being a family that blesses and nurtures through encouragement and intimacy and fun and consideration. That takes the will, that takes a choice. Or we can let this become one that destroys itself through judgment and gossip, selfish expectations. It's a trap we can fall into. We have to choose not to be like that. We can play our part in building each other up and inviting others in. Or would we rather tear other people down for our own satisfaction? It's a danger. I'm not saying people are doing that, but it's a danger we can fall into. Gossip tears down. And sometimes we can do that without even realising it. For example, these family values, the one another's that we see in the New Testament over and over again, love one another, encourage one, one another, spur one another on and so on. Care for one another. They are vital, and it's vital that they are actively appreciated and promoted. It's an ongoing choice, isn't it? And so it's interesting here, we see an example where Paul and Barnabas come to a disagreement. I want to take Mark. Well, I don't want to take Mark because of his previous record, and I'm not convinced he's changed. Now, where it says sharp disagreement, that word sharp is actually probably more correctly translated as heated. It was a heated disagreement. 
But did they over-spiritualise the incident? God told me we should take him. Ah, oh, yeah, but God told me we shouldn't. Don't talk about it. Just take him because it hurt his feelings. Didn't do that either. Didn't avoid the subject. Said, oh, yeah, man looks on the outside, but Lord looks on the heart. Sometimes we can use that to not deal with issues, problems. What they did do, they agreed to disagree and they went their separate ways. They're still brothers. Disagreement in family life is inevitable. So we'll have different ideas, we'll have different things we bring to the table, different expectations. Disagreement is inevitable. If there isn't disagreement in the family, someone's not owning up to how they honestly feel. Actually, it happens, doesn't it? It happens. That's family life, that's okay. What is important is whether or not there is healthy, mature discussion. That's vital. The difference is in how we conduct ourselves through the disagreements. We can agree to disagree about things. Because the result here, as a result of this disagreement, and they go in separate ways, Paul gets commended. <laughs> he gets commended, to the, to, uh, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. If, if the brothers were like, what are you doing? You can't leave like this. They wouldn't be commending him. There's an agreement to disagree. And actually what it does is double the mission. One goes one way, one goes the other. They've doubled the mission. God uses it. Here is a demonstration of family values. It's okay to disagree, just be sure you're part of the answer and not the problem. The demonstration of family values here says that we are still in this together even while we concentrate on different aspects of spreading the gospel. Barnabas saw, his, word, his name means son of encouragement. Barnabas saw something in Mark that he wanted to nurture. And Paul felt, a previous experience and I don't see much change, I'd rather take Silas. Okay, so Barnabas takes Mark under his wing. Mark hasn't been left to fester. It's given him room to grow in a new way. And actually what it means is Paul now has Silas with him. Room for Silas to grow. This vacuum creates some space for people to grow. And actually we then discover there's some space for Timothy to join Paul. And then we'll find out next week. Actually, sometimes the, the things like this are okay. Vacuum's okay. We're not in competition with each other or with other local churches for that matter. You know there's another church being planted in Herne Bay. It's on the way. Vineyard Church, they've just announced. I'm all right with that. I'm not threatened. It's not competition. Actually, there's 37,000 people out there who don't know Jesus. We need all the help we can get. <laughs> the harvest is plenty. It's fine. We're not in competition with other movements or with other denominations. If they depend on Jesus Christ alone for salvation... We're in this together and we can agree to disagree on things. That's fine. The harvest is big enough, don't worry. Family. Family is vital and is at the core of who we are as God's people. Family. Next one. Growth. Why do they want to go out and see the family, see the brothers? You see verse um, 41, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches, helping them to grow. Children need parents, as I was saying earlier. We all need encouragement, we all need wisdom, we all need insight, we all need someone's experience being invested back in us. We all need feeding. And the same goes for baby Christians, the same goes for churches. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, says, And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers, to do what? To be the experts? To be the ones who are paid to do the job for us? To show us how it's done properly? Or to get our applause? 
No, what does the next verse say? He gave us the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's you and me, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. See, apostles are church fathers. Paul was an apostle. The church fathers, and they, they, they care for the health of the church and check we are family, and check we are on mission, and check we're equipped and built up. Prophets reveal to us God's heart and teach us how to be a prophetic people, how to operate in the prophetic. They, they build us up prophetically to be prophetic and to receive of it. Evangelists. Now, the traditional caricature, if you like, stereotype of an evangelist is one where we organise a big event and get all our friends and they come in on the stage and they preach and there's a big altar call and lots of people come to the front and get saved. I don't actually see that in the Bible. Actually, what the Bible, what the Bible says here is the evangelists are trying to are, are, are here to equip us to be evangelistic. There is a place for that. I'm not de- denying those moments. But it's not for us to bring our friend for someone to do the hard work when God's like, you could have spoken to him. Sometimes it does take those kind of settings. I'm not dismissing them at all. But actually, evangelists are here to train us, to equip us, to build us up, to be evangelistic people. Evangelists are meant to create lots of little evangelists. Carl Maidman is one of the best people I know about that. Carl will be with us in two weeks' time to preach through this series with us. He's at Gateway on the Wheeled, Church on the Wheeled. He's an evangelist. He doesn't organise big events and then do big altar calls. He just goes around the churches in his own church and across relational missions, spends time with me, just building us up evangelistically to be more evangelistic and help to pass it on. To remove the stigma of evangelism. Which I'll talk about in a minute. See, we have lots of apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers to build us up. We've got Mike, he's the apostle of relational mission. He's not some guy who sits behind a big desk and sends his minions out. He's, a, he's got a, such a father's heart. He really cares about it. He knows about Beacon and what's going on. He cares about us. He can't be spread too thin. He can't come and visit here. He's got so many other places. to. But what he can do is keep an eye on us, hear about us, and have other people look after us for him. He's got a heart for us. We've got people like Maurice Nightingale, who's responsible for church planting in relational mission. I've spent some time with him. He's given me advice and wise counsel. He's been a great support. People like Andy Moyle came here a few years ago. Do you remember? We spent a Saturday morning down at the Beacon Centre Helping us understand, are we a welcoming church? Can we be better at that? But also behind the scenes, he spent time with us as a leadership team, making decisions and actually led to some quite major decisions as a leadership team. He helped us behind the scenes to see things from a new perspective. Angela Kem, she's a prophet. Who knows Angela Kem? She's been down there a couple of times and I'm thinking we need to get her back, actually. I think she's overdue. I need to give her a bell. She's brilliant at revealing God's heart for us as a prophet, but also training us up to be more prophetic, for us to receive God's revelation for others. And I've got Carl Maidman, I've just mentioned, got Martin Gibson at Maidstone, he looks after us as a church, keeps an eye on me, and John and David. We've got Tom Shaw down the road at Canterbury, he'll be coming here in April to share just before he moves to California to be involved in church planting out across North America. He's, He's moving very, very soon. And hopefully... The visa and the tickets won't happen just before he's due to arrive. The plan is that will happen just after he's here. But we've got booked him, booked him in for a date. We've got Martin Siegel, who will be leading the team at City Church in, uh, in Tom's absence once he goes. Martin is brilliant, and I'll be talking about him in just a moment. We've got these people around us. They're not there to show us how to do it properly or to do it for us. They're there to equip us and build us up 
so we as leaders can equip you and build you up as well. When things are healthy, what do they do? They grow. Healthy things grow. What we're seeking is the health of the church so we can grow. It's about discipling each other is the other thing. It's not others doing it for us, it's us doing it too. Matthew 28, when Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples, it doesn't just stop there at one generation. Make some disciples. Right, well done. If they're true disciples, they'll be making disciples. Implicit in that passage is go into all the world and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Are you involved in discipling each other? Are you involved in encouraging one, one another, spurring one another on? Are you meeting up in twos and threes and involved in growth group? and Even on fellowship time here, don't just talk about the latest TV show. Talk about it. Get to know each other. Find out where people are at. It's like, are you all right? Are you okay? How can I pray for you? What are you going through right now? Dig deeper. Be intentional. It's discipling each other. Encourage one another. If you see something that someone did well, you think they did really well. Sometimes you need to say it out loud so they hear it. It makes a big difference. Encourage each other. Growth is important in many different ways. Third one, before we run out of time, invitation. Why did they want to do this? Acts 15. Well, how did it all start? After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, this is verse 36, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. How did those churches start? They proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. These churches didn't come about by mere strategy or administration, but the proclaiming of the word of the Lord. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean preaching. It comes back to the word evangelism again. Who's scared by the word evangelism? Who's a bit like, if you go be an evangelist all my life? Forget that word. I'll give you another word. Invitation. Evangelism isn't mere passing on of information. Because that's often outside of relationship. It doesn't click. The other people misunderstand the words you use or get their back up and they're not going to listen anyway. Evangelism is invitation. It's not just telling people about Jesus out of context, but inviting them to come and meet him for themselves. In the ambulance service, we always said that, when I, was, I did 20 odd years in the ambulance service, and we always said that you learn most of the job, not from the classroom, but once you're out on the road doing 999 calls. There's some, there is a place for the textbook. You need to have some understanding, some underlying foundational knowledge. But you learn so much more once you're out on the road. It's immersion, being involved. And people invariably don't meet with Christ as their own rescuer because they lost an argument or because someone gave a good presentation. If you're trying to win an argument, be careful you don't lose the person. Sometimes it's okay to walk away from it. Sometimes it's okay to admit you don't know. It's not about winning the argument, it's about winning the person. Invariably, people meet with Christ because they're drawn into a narrative. They're drawn into, they hear stories, they see lives transformed, and it just draws them in. There's, there's something real here. Something going on. And that's the kind of thing that Holy Spirit sets on fire. And that's when he opens their eyes and goes, now see, this is more than just something on paper. This is real life. Tell your stories. Don't worry about the word evangelism. Just tell your stories. Tell stories of what God's doing for you now. Tell your story of how you came to meet with him for the first time. Tell stories about what's happened to one of your friends where they got healed or they came to Christ for the first time or, or they managed to get, you know, an addiction changed overnight. So how on earth did that happen? Well, let me tell you about good, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he does in our lives. 
Tell stories of miracles. Tell stories of something you read in a book. But more importantly, tell stories that are your own stories, things you've experienced. You may feel they're small and don't compare to the ones that people write books about. It's just as important as just as much of a miracle. If you're a Christian here today, you're a miracle. It's something to sing about. Just tell your stories. Forget the E word. Just invite people to meet Jesus for themselves in different ways. We're all called to be evangelists. And the ones with a capital E are there to equip us, not do it for us. We can all do some inviting, can't we? Not just inviting people to Sundays, inviting people to meet Jesus. There's different ways of doing that. We want to learn more about how we can help you do that. We're going to keep seeking that. All these things, family, growth and invitation, are in our DNA as a church. It should be in the DNA generally of any church, I suggest. But actually these three words have been coming up time and time and time again recently. Now, John Stott says that, he's a pastor and a writer, he says, if you want to know what Jesus is like, look at the church. That can sometimes be a bit scary. So we go, oh, okay. Another pastor called Ian Coffey says, do we look like the bride of Christ or do we look like the bride of Frankenstein? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah. It's quite scary. So, oh, okay. What are we here for? Beacon Church, right now, 2017 and beyond. Why did God put Beacon here in this town for this era? We've got a job to do, haven't we? If we want to see people saved and healed and lives transformed, we've got to step up to the mark and be willing in Holy Spirit strength to get on with it. That gets uncomfortable. Family, growth and invitation have been coming more and more into focus. I've been praying through this, we've been talking about it as an eldership team, talking with others. And... This is where Martin Seagull comes into it. A few months ago, I spent a whole afternoon with uh, Tom Shaw and Martin Seagull reflecting on the previous 12 months, looking forward to the next 12 months. And they're going, what is it that God's driving you? What, what is it he's calling Beacon Church to? And I was going, well, well, we're just sharing the good news of Jesus and learning how to you know, befriend people in town and we're doing CAP. And we go, yeah, yeah, but what is, what is he calling you to? What's the overriding picture? I go, well, we've got the four Ps. Place, plant, participate and partner. Yeah, a place all about where we meet on a Sunday, how, what impact that has, and do we need to change it in our, our beacon centre? It's all about place, your places of influence. Yeah. Also about uh, plant, we expect to plant in the future. We're not writing ourselves off as a little church. We can get involved. I believe in a few years we will be planting a church. I'm sure it'll be in conjunction with other churches. We won't necessarily be doing it on our own. We need to be involved in that, having babies. Participating and partnering with other agencies and seeing where God's involved got the four p's they just help us recognize how we're doing how we're doing in the mission and martin was like that's not a vision that's implementation that's doing the stuff but what's the picture that's driving that have you got a picture that's driving that's equal side because what is it and i just poured my heart out about what i felt god was saying for beacon and what he wants us to look like in the future and he went there it is i just never articulated it before it doesn't i kind of had a sense of what it was and i tried to explain it to john and david and we prayed through and we always agreed but it wasn't just me, but I could never put it on paper. I could never articulate it until I went away from there and I started praying more and more. God, what is, what is it? What actual shape and picture are you, what dream are you calling us to as Beacon Church? And he says, well, you've got these words. Family growth and invitation. It's even on our bookmarks for growth group. The vision for growth group is where Jesus is foremost, our growth is expected and others are invited. He's going, you've got half of it already. And so finally, we can now articulate our calling. This is what 
God wants us to be shaped by and to grow into. Can we have the next slide, please? I'll get out of the way so it's probably a bit low, isn't it? I believe he's calling us to be specifically focusing on these words. We envision Beacon as a family of Jesus followers reaching across Herne Bay and further, encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. This way, things don't get missed off the map, off the radar. A family of Jesus followers. We need to keep intentionally working out what that looks like. We're okay at it. I think we can do better. Don't you agree? We're okay, but we can do better. A family of Jesus followers, caring for one another, ministering for one another, praying for one another, meeting up together, not just meeting at meetings. Being family together. Jesus doesn't tell us to like one another. He says love one another. Very, very different. Why? Because love one another, because by that others will know you're my disciples. It's a shop window. And it wakes people up to who we are. How did they, why do they operate like that? They're almost like family. In fact, at our last family's own meal, some friends who were visiting for the first time that day said, you're like family, aren't you? It's like, well, let me tell you what the Bible says. We're doing it. I just think we can grow into it even more. We've got our rail plates on. Food makes a big difference. Helps, doesn't it? I spent a great afternoon with Kev. We had a great old time talking about how food can help us become more like family. It's really good. Lots of plans there. A family of Jesus followers. I've got rid of the word Christians just because anybody can use that word flippantly, actually, these days. Let's use a word that really means what we mean. To be a Christian is to follow Christ. Not just a Christian. Lots of people say they're Christians. They don't know who he is. So I'm just trying to use your language here. So anyone says, what Beacon Church all about? It's all Jesus followers. Oh, wow. What's that all about? Amen. A family of Jesus followers. Reaching across Herne Bay and further. We're involved. We may be more involved in the future. I don't know what God's got on the map for us. At the moment, we're doing enough. We don't want to do any more. We don't want to burn ourselves out. But we're involved in CAP and Food Bank and Street Passers and Youth Hub. Involved in town. Involved in personal friendships. Getting to know our neighbours. We've got the four Ps to help us know how we're doing in those different areas. But we've also had Rob and Co. prophesy 18 months ago, September before last. Do you remember he was here one morning? And we've we weighed it, we believe it's from God. He said, you're in a field, you've been ploughing a field. But turn around, look out, there's eight more fields around you. You've got a job to do. That's reaching across Herne Bay and further, church planting as well. We've got a job to do. It's not just about hiding in the corner singing this little light of mine. We've got a job to do. Encouraging each other to grow. Again, I'm not using the word discipleship because people can have different understandings of what that means. But we can be encouraging each other to grow in different ways in different ways. Encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. Lord, let this be the year of salvation. Lord, and we've got a part to play in that. And that means getting out of our comfort zones. Some of the language we use as leaders, which we'll be sharing more in the future, is about strangers to friends to family to parents. It's meeting strangers. How do you help them become friends? How do you break the ice? Learning to do that in different ways with different people. You know, having your neighbours over for a meal or someone who's come here for the first time, getting to know them. How do you break the ice? It can be scary. But we want them to become friends. But we don't want them to stay there. We want them to become family, don't we? How do we do that? How do we invite them to meet with Christ for the first time? But the thing is, the danger in church is that we can stop there. There, the family, now they're saved. Are they discipling each other? Are they growing? Are they maturing? 
It's about not just staying as family, but becoming parents. Parenting each other. It's important. Are you parenting? Are you being parented? If not, seek someone out. Seek people out to parent you. And get involved in passing it on. Helping each other to grow. Investing in each other. Spending time in the Word together. Praying for each other. Texting each other during the week. I was praying for this. How did you get on? I know lots of this is happening. I'm not saying this isn't happening. We can do it more. Some of us might be doing it less or more than others. A family of Jesus followers reaching across home Bay and further, encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. This is the dream that God wants us to keep running after over the next few years. Should we say it together? Yeah? A family of Jesus followers reaching across Herne Bay and further, encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. Let's do it one more time. A family of Jesus followers reaching across Herne Bay and further, encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. Some churches are all about evangelism, but they lose the discipleship. Some churches are all about discipleship, but they lose the evangelism. We are so keen that we don't become a one-winged church. Here we have a sharp edge now to define what we are called to, what we're not, to cut away what is distracting us and focus on what God wants us to invest our energies in. This will help us know what is important. Discipleship, growth, evangelism, invitation. It takes away the stigma and the scariness, doesn't it? Invitation. It helps us know where our strengths lie. It helps us know what we can say no to. It helps us know where we need to invest. It helps us know how the four Ps will best flourish. Just before we end, <coughs> I would like you to picture what that might look like in five years' time. Or ten years' time. Let's go for five years. Would you like to stand? I'm just going to pray, but first of all, if you'd like to stand and just close your eyes, and I'll say it out loud again, so don't worry if you can't remember what the words were, but just picture for a moment what this might look like in five years' time, and see what Holy Spirit does to your heart. Just picture this, a family of Jesus' followers, reaching across Herne Bay and further, encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. A family of Jesus' followers reaching across Herne Bay and further, encouraging each other to grow and inviting others to join the adventure. What might that look like in five years' time here in Herne Bay? What beacon look like if we run after that with all our might? If we follow Holy Spirit's guiding and how to shape that, how to follow that, how to take up opportunities, how to say no to others, what might that look like in five years' time? Holy Spirit stirring us dreams, stirring us images of what it is you have set before us. Speak to us specifically, maybe already, about how we need to chase after this picture. Help us to know really what it means to grow together, to encourage one another. Help us to learn and be willing to invite others to meet with Christ for the first time. Lord, your church, when we're deeply rooted in you, is unstoppable. We want to see an unstoppable church in action in Herne Bay over the next generation and beyond. If you want to give of your energies, you want to 
be a part of what this might look like. I'm, I've got my eyes closed, I'm not going to look. Just lift your hand up to him and just say, that I'm, I'm in. This is just between you and God. Nobody else even has to know. You can tell them later if you want to. But just right now, say, Lord, I am in for this. Teach me to know my part to play. We all have different parts to play. Different parts of the body, that's fine. Teach me to know where my strengths are. Teach me to know where my weaknesses are. Either somewhere I need to grow or somewhere to go, okay, 